This is Living Proof Radio, May 2024. All of our full episodes are available on our Patreon with weekly drops, a Patreon-only radio show, and Living Proof magazine delivered to your house every issue, as well as our entire members-only library backlog. Patreon.com slash York. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Wow, thanks. Uh, well, for, yeah, first of all, I should say thanks to you guys for your like ultimate patience, man. It's been like a long time Yo, coming. It's been it's a like long pre-pandemic, time. Like pre-pandemic. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's been like at least one year of like back and forth. He, and I, I would argue to say more. And this shit fucked me up because somehow by accident, mm-hmm. I hit our correspondence, our DMs into some vanish mode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure how to, like, obviously, whatever. I don't know how to take was, it out either. I don't even know how to get it back into like not vanish mode. Yeah, it's So weird. I was like, it pissed me off because I was like, going to be like, oh shit, when did we start this conversation? Yeah. So I feel like it was like 2000. 2019 or something or 2020 like it was really a while ago, it was a while ago. So i'm super hyped to you know finally make it happen so yeah me too you. well that's why i said when, when you reached out to me i think earlier this year i was like i mean it's crazy because it's fucking december 15th or whatever it is so but i remember thinking to myself and i think i said to you in the text of course i don't have it anymore i was like yo no matter what we get on the docket for mm-hmm. this year like it's going to happen this year and i was just mm-hmm. like whatever i just i've been traveling and doing a lot of shit and I don't live in the city full time, so uh, so it's just been a little bit more cha- challenging. For get. sure. But uh, so I guess we we wanted to start off by saying that uh, from other interviews we saw that you have been writing. You started writing in 1981. Yep. And it is now you know 2023. So it's it's been a long time. And with that time, like seeing seeing the world through the eyes of someone who's a graffiti writer, or seeing the world through the eyes of someone who's an artist, and and like works with collage work works with murals and you know you're seeing the world in a different in a different view than a lot of people would what do you think about when you see the amount of change that's happened um not just in queens but in new york as a whole um yeah i mean you know it's crazy because i mean obviously it's it's kind of done a what a 180 in a lot of ways i mean in some ways i mean you know and even like talking about you know keeping anonymity and stuff like that there is like you can kind of, it's, it's what you make it. It's like a long time ago, I think I wrote in DG's book, Graffiti is what you make it. And it's like, in a lot of ways, I feel like that's really true. You can be real quiet about it, or you can be real like, you know, today people are like, yo, I do this shit. Whereas like, when I grew up, you know, 1981 and stuff like that, it's like, you didn't really tell people that's what you did, because then that's when someone else's mom would be like, you're the kid writing on school. So like, you wouldn't really take tags on your, I mean, we wrote on our notebooks, but you wouldn't really take tags on like your knapsack and shit like that and try and keep some sort of anonymity. But, um... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess a lot's changed and not a lot's changed. I mean, like, it's cool to still, I mean, sometimes I'm kind of amazed with, like, just to go fast forward to today to just see, like, I mean, I know we had went through the pandemic and that kind of created a situation for, like, lots of bombing to happen and stuff like that. But I'm just like, I don't know if I've ever, in some ways, even as bombed as the city was back then, there's parts that I feel like are more bombed today than it ever was bombed. I mean, I know a lot of people talk about even, you know, and I, I don't count, I don't really fully pay attention but i see obviously a lot of trains getting painted and like whole trains and stuff like that and i think like during the whole time graffiti happened from the early 70s and 89 there might have been like a couple of those and i think even some of those they got foiled by the cops like they tried to do one in 75th avenue like a halloween one but the dudes got chased and stuff like that or some dudes got caught and that's like in 1982 or something but uh so yeah so the volume today is just fucking wildly like sometimes i always i mean i guess people know about graffiti because like you have the internet and everyone knows about mm-hmm. this shit now 
But sometimes I still walk around the streets and I'm like, yo, I'm just like, what do like fucking lay people think? Like, mm. or civilian people just like when they come around, they're just like, the fuck happened here? Like someone just opened a can and just like blew up the whole place. So, uh, you know, in some ways that's a bug out, you know, in some ways I'm also glad <laughs> that graffiti's not on the trains like how it was back then because uh, even at this advanced age, it'd be probably pretty difficult for me to stay away from that. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, like, I don't really have any desire to do, it's fun to watch and it's cool to see that shit, but like, I'm good yeah. with that. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. As far as other things, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, when I grew up, you know, it's like, or, you know, during the era that I grew up, it's like basically the 70s into the early, I mean, I started, I mean, I was a toy in 1981, but that's when I first started writing because back then everyone kind of wrote. I mean, you hang, I mean, I don't know if it's the same way today, but back then the epicenter of the neighborhood was a schoolyard. Everyone hung out in the schoolyard, whether they're smoking weed or playing handball, writing graffiti, drinking beers, listening to Rush, whatever the fuck it is. So everything kind of happened there and you would see all this stuff and, you know, like people's older brothers wrote and so they would like kind of hand us down tags and, you know, we'd see drawings and stuff like that. So basically all my friends wrote graffiti, like when I first started writing and the school that I went to, I went to probably before pre-kindergarten to sixth grade, like the schoolyard was bombed the entire time throughout the 70s. They didn't clean it till like 1981 or 82. So like the time that I grew up and a lot of other people grew up, it's like it was just always there. You know what I mean? Graffiti was always there. It was always on the trains, and it was like you just never really thought it was going to go away. So in some ways, it's amazing that in whatever May, whatever it was, 1989, that they like got it off the trains like from running, and um, and then of course that started a whole another movement. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's I mean obviously there's a lot of differences, a lot more supplies, there's a lot more like people making businesses out of you know various you know graffiti supplies and stuff like that. So. That's probably a big difference because back then there was like, you know, you had only limited kind of colors, limited kind of uh, brands and stuff like that. But that being said, like, I still, I mean, you know, I'm not, you know, like, how do I say, like, I don't get down like that, but I still get down. So yeah. it's like, you know, I still make my own markers and shit like that and make mixings and shit like that. So it's like, that's still fun to me. I just don't, you know, don't use it as much as maybe I once did. Whereas like, you know, you go to a layup, you know, you run through a court, two quarts of ink in like an afternoon. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that's that's something I actually wanted to touch on is like you your early beginnings and starting graffiti. Uh, but before I even get into that, like I was just thinking while you were talking, eighty one is, is when you started and eighty nine is when they were cleaning the trains heavy. So it was a solid like seven to eight years uh, of train activity prior to the yeah. clean so did you did you get down initially with trains or was it streets well i basically like i said i was like a toy so it was really just my neighborhood and it's funny because a lot of people you know, i grew up in forest hills and a lot of people later you know maybe in the mid 80s when i was a little bit more well known would be like you know what the fuck like dudes you write from forest hills and they just like thinking like tudor houses and trees and kind of stuff which is true and in a lot of ways, it was like when we first started bombing, it was really just light poles and mailboxes and schoolyards and stuff like that, handball courts. But um, but in a lot of ways, you know, when I think back, just to talk about Forest Hills for a second, Forest Hills is actually an amazing fucking place to write graffiti, man. Because there's like, you have access to highways, tunnels, these train yards. There used to be, not as much anymore, but there used to be crazy truck yards parked on Metropolitan Avenue. Mm. So you could just like, you just go on the Interbur, or Jackie Robinson now, just like, you, there was... You know, Forest Park, there's tracks. I mean, there's just, like, infinite amount of places to write graffiti. Um, 
but I didn't really actually ride on a train until 1982. Uh, so, and like I said, even that, the first time I rode on a train was like with an El Marco, literally, like one a train laid up on the station by my grandmother's house. And so between like, honestly, between 82 and like 84, I was more like, I would motion bomb. Like we would go into the layups and stuff like that, but like not too heavy, man. Like I was small, like I'm not a big dude. Back then I was real small. And so like the layups were pretty wild back then. And so uh, we would go in, but we would go in for like 15 minutes, 10 minutes, you know, maybe take a mark or do like a bunch of out tags on the outside and stuff like that. So nothing really that noticeable. Like I said, we would do, we would do motion tags because like, my home station was Continental Avenue, so back then it was the GG train. So we would sit in the back and just fucking take tags and that stuff, you know, all the way to Roosevelt in between all the stops. But um, how how were, how was the layup? You said it was wild. Um, yeah, because well, well, just like it was busy. You know what I mean? Like people would be in there. Like a lot of people visited. Was it security for for Graf? No, no. I just mean like writers would be in there. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? I mean, I can remember one time going onto the platform, uh, Union Turnpike, and again I was like, I don't know. 13 and uh there was like i forget it was like a bunch of the rtw guys i remember paid was one of the guys there maybe quick a few others but they had just done fill-ins right on the platform and you could tell because they did floaters and a couple dudes did fill-ins right in the bottom you could see the overspray on the station still like right on the platform and i was like yo they just did these so we walk in the tunnel and you hear a bunch of dudes downstairs so sometimes you know everyone was looking for vicks back then so you know we tried to be pretty careful you know, especially because uh, it was like our neighborhood and stuff like that. So it was like we had some sense of like, you know, ownership of the neighborhood, but it was also just like so many people went to that layup. It was hard to be like, well, this is our spot. Mm-hmm. So, but after a while, you know, I definitely went there, you know, hella times and shit like that. So, but yeah, I wouldn't, I'd say it wasn't really until about 85 that I really started to like kind of more seriously write on trains and like start to do mm-hmm. fill-ins. And even then, man, I was just a bomber. Like I might've did about 12 or 13 pieces. Yeah, because... No, I was just going to say, because you hear a lot of stories about how, you know, people would just go into the yards with, like, pizza and, like, cans of beer and essentially oh, just yeah. hang out, you know? Like, was yeah, there yeah. a presence of, like, Vandal Squad or... Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they were definitely around, but they would usually... My, at least my experience is that they would never show up in the layup. They would show up when you were, like, three or four blocks away thinking you were, like, good. And then you'd get thrown up against the fucking building or something like that. Because I know that's what happened. There's a couple of cops that are pretty famous, Ferrari and Curly, who are, like, a couple of cops that patrolled around the 7 line and you know enf line and stuff like that and uh one time i think in 80 either 83 or 84 we like again we went to the layup did like a little bit but you know i was like still kind of green and like back then all the all the tops of the staircases were bombed like when you walked in the staircases in the train station they were just like all like fame spots and never had been buffed all kinds of uni tags and stuff like that and famous people so i remember when i first started kind of you know, going down there and hitting, I was like, yo, I want people to know that I'm here. And so we were good coming out of the layup, but there was no problem. But then I hit every staircase and then they saw me on the, pla- you know, on the, on the token booth level. And so we were walking away and we were like, maybe about to turn onto Austin street and they threw us up against this like uh, dry cleaner spot and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's, but yeah, I mean, as far as just like, you know, back then also too, I can't front. I mean, I think about it because I was doing an interview not that long ago and I was like, yeah, I was like, I didn't really start writing on trains a real lot. I was also like, I guess, whatever, around 83, 84, I was like 14, 15. So like, um, I mean, not to sound like a weirdo, but like getting laid was like a big deal. Mm-hmm. So like that, I spent a lot of time with girls and stuff like that. And um, so I think that's what like prevented me from 
doing maybe more graffiti then. And also too, like my parents were together. Like when I was younger, I had not a strict curfew, but like wasn't like I could stay out all night and wild out with dudes who like, you know, could just, their parents didn't really care where they were. They could just do whatever they wanted. Do you, so, have, do you have any memories of um, like going to those lives and going to these yards around, I'd say maybe 84, 85, when you have your two letter a little bit more developed and you're, you're doing, you're well, doing fill-ins on the trains. Do you have memories of what it was like? Like, yeah. Like, for example, the entrance, was the entrance barbed wired out? Was there holes in the fence? Like, what was it really like when you would paint? Would you paint it at the layups? Would you paint it at, at yards? Like, Well, first off, I just, we have to shift it because it's really like the main time I wrote was probably, I mean, the heaviest I wrote on trains was between 85 and mostly 86 and 87. Okay. A little bit in 88 because I'd already gone to college, but I came back and I did hit a bunch of trains before they went out. Um but yeah, I mean, it was all kinds of different stuff. I mean, I know a lot of times back then there was there would be holes in train stations that would be there for years, and so we would just slip through holes that would they would never cut. Um, I know at the M yard, I mean, there was like a bunch of different ways to get in the M yard. I mean, there was holes by the, the dead end street by the oval there, but I know later, like yeah, actually more like in '88, we went we were going there. There's like these I forget the streets, but they're like those dead end streets there that like kind of go up against where like the train goes over before you get into the yard. We would go down those dentist streets and climb high up those fences, and there'd be holes in the fence, but where, like, the ground is under the running train. And then you'd hide under there and then run into the yard from there. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I mean, like, a lot, I mean, we went to a lot of tunnels. I mean, we'd go to, like, Van Sicklin or 175th or, we, I mean, our, our basically our kind of, like, home layup or, like, the place that we would go all the time was Astoria. So, like, that was, like, our favorite place. Sometimes we'd bomb that place two times a day. We'd cut school, hit all the insides, and come back that night and hit all the outsides. And it was a great spot because sometimes there'd be two different layups, and a lot of the times they'd have like every like there'd be a little bit of everything there. There'd be some flats, there'd be some ridges, there'd be a couple of bulldogs. So you'd catch a little bit of everything there. So and that's really just you know walking off the platform. So I'm trying to think of other places where like I mean I know we went to Coney Island Yard. There you just back then you just had to pull the fence like they had like a sliding fence in there. And all you had to do is like push it a little bit and just slide right in. Um, I'm trying to think of other shit. I'm forgetting anything, but I gotta ask. Um, you know, in Star Wars, they talk about the dog running around the, the sure, fence. Sure. Was that real or the just... Yeah, that was definitely real, but that was a little bit before my time. By the time I started really writing graffiti, the sevens were clean already, mm-hmm. and so uh, I never really went to the. Se- I mean, I've been outside there, I've been around there, but not during that era mm-hmm. when the dogs were like. I think, and actually, it's a good question actually because I think at some point they must have. They must have taken those dogs out or something it, it like that. Do, it doesn't seem that practical, honestly. No, nah, no. Nah, I mean, and also, I remember hearing stories. I mean, again, I don't know if, what's the truth of it, but I definitely remember hearing stories of, like, older writers going there, you know, putting, like, tranquilizers yeah. and meat <laughs> and shit like that and giving them the meat so the dogs would pass out. Yeah, the like, stories from that era are honestly so crazy. They're insane. And, and they're, I, I, I argue to say a lot of them are true. Like, you can't make those things up. But, like, obviously, you know, I wasn't there. So these are things, like, you hear, you know, like when you're a kid, you know, like I remember hearing a lot, you know, because I didn't even know when I was a kid, like, you know, I thought Fuzz One was from Queens. I didn't even know he was from the Bronx because he made such an impact when he came to Queens um, that, you know, I always just thought he was from Queens. So, like, I know some of those stories kind of made me think of him because, again, I don't know if it was him, but I know I heard stories around like that era where people were doing shit like that in the 70s. Yeah, I have a, I have a quote I want to read and then ask you a question afterwards, and it's about uh, Vandal Squad. Uh, founded in the 1980, the Vandal Squad's mission was to protect the subway system from hardcore criminal acts of destruction, like kicking out windows and throwing seats out of train cars. It was only with the clean car program of 84 that graffiti became the primary focus of this specialized unit. 
using every means available, including the NYPD computer database, search warrants, and even vandals themselves. Um, which is funny because like 1980, 1984, these, all these dates are like co-aligning with, with you starting writing graffiti, progressing in writing graffiti, starting to hit the trains more. Um, what was your experience like with VS of that time period? Because I hear a lot about, you know, VS now and what they can and can't do or this and that. But when you think about VS, at least I think about like these types of stories. I think about the trains. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, luckily for me, I mean, I definitely got grabbed a few times over the years, but I didn't really get back that too much, thank God. But like, yeah, like, so the one time early on, which I'm going to say was probably 84 when Ferrari uh, grabbed us. And then, uh, I'm trying to think, and then I think it wasn't until like maybe sometime in 80, maybe 86 or maybe the beginning of 87. Uh, I know it was winter time. Uh, we got rolled on at Astoria and it was another kind of vandal cop, big, tall Irish dude, had like kind of reddish yellow hair they called Goldie. And uh, so, long story short, we were trying to get away. I was with this dude, Dash, this other dude that wrote Hush. And uh, Dash was able to get away. And these other two cops kind of, as we were trying to get away on the platform, these cops kind of popped us on the, on, popped out on us. So they were like trying to front like they were reading a newspaper or whatever, like they were just there. And uh, so this guy, Goldie, grabbed me. And uh, I had a bag of paint, and like I, I don't know if he grabbed me first, but I sw basically swung a bag of paint at his head a couple of times just to try and keep him away and just like figure out what the fuck was going on. And then I figured I tried to throw the bag onto a roof from there, but it just made it onto the sidewalk. <laughs> so he basically grabbed me and like punched me in the back of the head, and I think like either the fifth or sixth time I hit the deck, and then they just and then the guy sat on us and stuff like that. It was fucked up too because. The day before, see, this is like, I guess I got kind of amped because the day before is the only time I ever did uh, an end-to-end -end whole car. And we did it on the A-line. It was, yeah, so, okay, so it had, okay, so it was February, okay. So it was February 87, probably, because that Valentine's Day, me, AI, and Dash, we did a, end, not a top to bottom, but an end-to-end -end on the A-line on a layup uh, that's in between, I guess, was it 111th Street? I don't know if it's still there, but it was just a one-set layup. But it was in between two elevated spots on the A, but... If you got to a certain part, neither platform could see you. But we did a fucking whole car there in broad daylight, you know. And I remember this dude, this dude that wrote Image was there. And um, this guy, AI, that we wrote, he was from that neighborhood. And, like, th there's a handful of people, like, AI and Deck, uh, who were, like, these guys had a sixth sense for writing graffiti and stuff like that. So, like, he just, I don't know, he just didn't care. But we've been getting a little bit off topic here, the Vandal no Squad. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, luckily I didn't have a lot of, you know, luckily not too many interactions with them. I remember one time I did live in Astoria in the 90s and I was coming home from work and I had a bag of paint on me and I was probably had a few drinks in me and I was just like kind of passing out on the two-seater and it pulled into like, I don't know, like maybe 30th Street or whatever. One, one of the spots that still has the layup there and this had to be like maybe 96. And I had never, I'd only seen pictures of Tom and Jerry. I'd never, luckily never bumped into those guys. And uh, I was on the platform, I mean, I was on the train the train stops and I'm kind of like half in a daze and I look and I see them and other cops running around chasing kids on the platform and I recognize them and they kind of stopped the train. They like got in the car and everything. And I know I wasn't doing anything, but I was like, shit, I have a bag of paint on me. So I was like, if I look, I probably looked the roll. I probably had paint on my clothes and stuff like that, but luckily nothing ever happened. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the crazy thing about that guy Goldie is that, I don't know, a few weeks later, Continental Avenue, with a couple of my friends, of course, my friend had gotten away. 
and I see him frisking someone up against the wall. And uh, I guess I should preface this with the night, I'm trying to make this a short story without getting too like crazy detailed. The, the, the night we got bagged in Astoria, they brought us back to the station. Some other writers came and we, we, we didn't tell them what we really wrote. We made up other names because at the time, I'm not saying we were kings of the lines, but we were hitting the fucking lines pretty hard. I mean, we were up pretty much up on every B and R train at that point. And uh, so we like gave them some crazy fake names and they, these other writers came into the station and saw us and the cops were like, we're, like, we're going to take these other writers out on, to the layup to see what you wrote. We hadn't finished. We had, we had just done our end-to-end whole car throw-ups because I was like, we did like, like I said, we did a whole car the day before in broad daylight. So I was like, as soon as it gets dark between the fucking whole cars, like, this is it, that's it. And... Uh, so whatever, so they went out there. They, unfortunately, they couldn't read it, but they were like taunting us and be like, yeah, you guys are some toys and shit like that. And like, I was like, you guys have no idea. You know what I mean? So, but at the time it was just better to like keep it low key. So luckily that happened. But like I said, we, a couple weeks later, I see this guy Goldie frisking someone in Continental Avenue. And for whatever reason, I felt comfortable to kind of like slap him on the back and be like, hey Goldie, how you doing? What's going on? And he immediately like threw me up against the wall. It was just like, I know you've been back there. And of course I hadn't been back. I had hit other trains that maybe switched those lines or whatever, or he had figured out what we rode or some shit. But he gave me a hard time. He kind of like, you know, grabbed me by my neck and threw me against the wall. And he's like, if you fucking go back there and blah, blah, blah. So of course, like, you know, two months later I was going back there, but, um, but it was just crazy. And then I was like, I remember thinking later, I was like, I probably was so smart to like tap him on the show. I should just walk by him like, you know, like nothing. But I just, you know, when you're 17, you know. Why do you think that uh, you gravitated towards writing graffiti and not just gravitated towards it, but ended up sticking with it and, uh, you know, doing your thing with it? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, I was like my parents were both like art history majors. And so like, I would my mom would do like graphic design stuff. She had a studio like right outside my bedroom. So you should have those those little those little Liquitex markers, those little markers in the glass bottles and stuff like that. And so I used to kind of like play with those and like you know, steal those out of her studio and stuff like that. And I used to draw with my dad. He was like a really good draftsman and stuff like that. So at a really young age, I was kind of like, well, I don't understand why you guys don't do art as professionals. And, you know, my dad sold computers. My mom was doing catering and stuff like that. And they're like, ah, you know, when you're like 10, 11, you don't really understand. Like, I oh, would do more practical. We have to, you know, make money. And, you know, art's not the easiest road traveled. So at a very early age, for better or for worse, I was like, ah, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let this go. And like, I've been pretty much drawing ever since I could hold a crayon and stuff like that. So when graffiti came around, and I was probably around like fifth grade, um, you know, and then like around, you know, 80, 81, it's like that's when the graffiti scene started to pop off in the galleries and stuff like that. And like Don, you would have like a fun gallery was happening, and all these places were happening. So my parents were being interested in art. They were some mild art collectors and stuff like that. So they saw it as like kind of harmless. And as a matter of fact, even when I first started, they gave me a room in the basement to paint in, which I, of course I don't have one photo of, which is unfortunate, but, um, but so they would take, so they would, we would go to these places like Graffiti Above Ground or to um, Fun Galley or Tony Shafrazi or wherever there was a show. And um, they, you know, they were interested, you know, they were interested in it also. So I think that, um, you know, the combination of me, you know, trying to do art and like trying to, you know, kind of stick with it and stuff like that, like, I mean, basically, you know, like I said, all my friends kind of started writing around the same time at 81, but by like 84, 85, a lot of them started vegging off. They wanted to go to clubs. They wanted to start trying to act like an adult or mm -hmm. start selling drugs or what have you. And um, I don't know, I'm, as, as, I'm, as I'm trying to answer the question and stuff like that, I'm not sure why I completely stuck with it, but I just, I did. Like it just, you know, there was a handful of people that's, you know, after, like I say, 1985 still stuck with it. And um, 
you know, it was fun by, you know, like I've been by 85, 86, it was like then I developed a method to sneak out of my house. And so it was like a lot easier to get out and, you know, break night and hit trains and stuff like that. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, I don't know. Just, it was like, I was artistically inclined and like, I just kind of stuck with it. I mean, there was a lot of people that influenced me. Like I never had a mentor. So, but when I went to junior high school, I went to school with this dude, Rab, fortunately he passed away last year. Uh, and he was like incredible and he just really good at piecing and he was bombing. He was like getting up at the time. He was hitting the lines. He was hitting the numbers. He was hitting the letter lines. So and he was doing good amount of pieces that were running. So he was a big influence. So I definitely like, you know, bit off of his shit early on. But I would also argue to say, you know, I don't want to speak for everybody, that he was so influential in my neighborhood growing up then that he influenced a whole group of kids from Forest Hills and Regal Park during that era. And he would bring like black books to school, like he'd bring like Python's black book or Weber's black book or these guys from up on Mount Vernon, like uh, Leroy and Ram 311. So he just exposed me like to all this crazy stuff that like, you know, back then, you grow up in Queens, like Mount Vernon seemed like, a, you know, like in another country, you know, so, um, but so there, there was a lot of that. And there was some encouragement, like I said, like early on, it's like there wasn't like a lot of people, like you didn't really say you know this is what i do you know to like or certain people you would let know or other people that wrote but like i had an art teacher also too who was like he wasn't really judgmental about it and so he kind of he didn't really encouraged me to write on trains and get in trouble but he was like you know encouraged me art wise and like he's definitely i think one of those people that like you know probably made me want to like continue to do this kind of stuff mm -hmm. or like you know just continue with art and do what I, you know follow my you know my dream or whatever yeah doing that. No, it's amazing. And, you know, it's been like over four decades now, which is, it's it's pretty insane, you know, like there's, there's not that many people left or you could even say alive that stuck with graffiti that long, you know, and uh, yeah, so it seems like you've been, you know, because a lot of people, they, they dabble in it and then they like fall off for like a lot for a few years or like you know it's kind of like a spotty in their life yeah. but with you it seems very consistent and not only consistent but it seems almost like a priority in your life nowadays <laughs> so how, how how do you have the motivation for over 40 years to well, keep this alive? like i said i still get down i don't paint as much as i used mm -hmm. to i mean but um yeah i mean you know obviously i was one of you know i, mean, I guess one of the other parts of it too is that i was one of the only guys or one of the few guys because when I wrote graffiti on the trains and highways and stuff like that, like just to throw in that in that bracket between '85 and '89, like the dudes I wrote with and myself included, we're all bombers, man. We did throw ups and, and mop tags and stuff like that, and that was like our that's what we really did. Because like to be honest with you, and it probably kind of coincides with what you're saying there about like kind of the Vandal Squad in '84 being kind of more concentrated. Is that not only were they more concentrated on it, but the trains like if you talk about like trains that were painted in like the late '70s. Some of those trains would run for years. Some of those pieces would run for years. By the time it got to about like 84, 85, and a lot of those old school guys who you started in the 70s and petered out in the early 80s, trains started, like, shit just started getting gone over. Like, no one really, so, like, the idea of doing pieces sometimes didn't really even make any sense. And also, too, sometimes we'd go bombing, and we'd go with, like, 10 guys. And I remember, like, oh, I'm going to do a piece today. So I'd do a panel piece. These guys would be, like, 70 cars down and just blasted the old thing with throw-ups. And I'd be like, there's no room for me to do throw-ups here. So it was like kind of a competition like that. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think being, you know, enjoying letters and like being into making letters and doing and making pieces and stuff like that, I think that's something that's really kind of kept me going because like there's always something that I enjoy about like evolving my style. 
I mean, obviously my throw ups and tags, I mean, they do change. I mean, I don't, sometimes when I look at my tags, I feel like even though it's recognizable, like every single one I do is like kind of different. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think, you know, developing my style over years and stuff like that was something that I was really into. Um, you know, obviously I did, you know, I started making collages and artworks pretty early in life too. Like I was saying earlier, like life kind of revolved around the schoolyard. And so like, you know, during the summer, like fireworks were a big thing place would be littered with firework wrappers and like wrapping papers from like easy widers and bamboo even before I knew what they really were and uh this is early this is early 80s and so I would start making collages my mom made collages like I said she had a studio she would make some collages so I kind of like got inspired by her and um so I started making my first collage of like firework wrappers and stuff like that and I liked the graphics and I think like you know building off all that stuff like you know the firework wrappers comic books rock band names and stuff like that like that just really got me into doing letters and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, it's something, like I said, I think early on, I was just like, yeah, I'm never really going to let this go. I mean, there have definitely been ebbs and flows where certain years I've done less than other years. But um, it's true. Like, sometimes I always wonder, because, like, some dudes, writers would just, like, fall out for, like, 10 years, and all of a sudden they'd be back on the scene again. And I would just be like, yo, I don't know if I could do that. You know what I mean? Like, I always kind of wanted to kind of kept sharpening the skills and stuff like that, so... Um, that's definitely a reason, but, um, but, you know, and it also kind of runs parallel with my artwork. I mean, that's why I, when, after I graduated college, doing skills was a kind of a big deal because then that kind of really was the first time I was able to kind of marry all the stuff that I did into one project. Yeah. And I, I want to talk about, I want to talk about skills for sure. Um, but I, I have another question about sure. like graph and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, um, one of the things that I noticed was I was looking through your, um, just through different pictures of your throwaway online. Now seeing like a lot of stuff dated like 95, 96, 97, 98, a lot of fill-ins um, dated with these years. Um, and what came to my mind was just uh, the thought of like, do you think it's possible or even beneficial or productive to be a long-term uh, bomber? Because, you know, there's so few writers that have done it, probably because it's not that, you know, like productive in terms of like, you have right. to give up all the other uh, right. facets of your life. So what do you think about that? Because clearly there was a time where you were just going like throwy crazy. Well, yeah. I mean, again, we can we can circle back to skills and stuff like that. But I did skills between 92 and 95 when I was living outside of Boston. And so that was great. But we were also doing a lot of stuff in Boston. And so they had their own little vandal squad there. And just by nature of doing the magazine, even though they couldn't prove that I did it, it kind of put a bullseye on my back a little bit because then they were like you were the one they're like you're the one that's responsible for all these kids writing graffiti in the suburbs and even though there's some truth to that they were really trying to press me hard and stuff like that so by the time 95 came around I, I moved back to New York in 95 and I was like you know what I just want to kind of start fresh I don't I stopped doing the magazine and I was just like I want to kind of just like get lost again and so I was living in Astoria and it was like one of those like perfect situations where I was like living on like, you know, two, three, four, five, whatever, 23rd Avenue between 24, you know, like some crazy like Queens address. And uh, it was like a basement apartment that like, even if you knew where I lived, I don't think you'd find it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it was a really good place for me to be. Um, and so, yeah, so the 90s, I still kind of continue to paint a lot. Um, I mean, one of the things that I wanted to do was... Uh, I was starting to document more and so that kind of made me kind of go around the city and go to more places and stuff like that but um yeah I mean I was still pretty active I mean I was and I was like in my late 20s at that point um 
but uh, and I connected with a bunch of people. I connected with Revs, a bunch of other people. Ezo was someone who I who was someone I looked up to growing up. So I saw it, a picture of uh, Roller you did with Espo and KR. Yeah, yeah, that was probably '99. I did a handful of rollers back then. That was like a thing that, that I don't want to say. I mean, obviously, other people did it before we did, but that was like starting to become a thing then. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, it's like you look at every roof and it's like bombed. But um, yeah, I mean, I think you know. I mean, you know, to kind of speak to what you're saying before, like I definitely don't. I mean, if you're real, you know, if you're really active, that's like a full time job, man. I mean, you're out there whether you rack or not or whatever. But you're out, you know, you're out all night, you're sleeping all day, you're taking flicks, you're going to get your day flicks. Or it's like a constant cycle. So I can't say that I've really done that in many years, you know what I mean? But that being said, when, you know, when I can, when I have the opportunity, I mean, like this year, like, I don't really know if I could have a bucket list in graffiti, but in like January or February, I did a freight with Zephyr. And after doing that, I was kind of like, oh shit, that's kind of bucket list-ish, you know? I mean, I'd painted some walls with him before, but uh, but that was kind of a cool thing to kind of, that was like actually, I think the first piece I did this year. So I was kind of like, ah, oh, it's a good good way to start set it off. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's really just like right now, it's really just like getting where I fit in, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's just like, I'm not really interested. I mean, like, you know, I mean, sometimes I, you know, you get tempted to do like streets or something like that. But like, like I said, if anything, I do streets. Like, I have a mop that I make. I'll maybe take a tag here or there and stuff like that. But, like, I'm not, I don't really have the interest as much. I mean, the only things that really interest me um, are, like, tunnels and freights, hmm. really. So, like, and I don't really... I mean, I've been in tunnels a couple times this year. It was really more to just photograph stuff. But um, but those are really the only things I really, like, kind of enjoy writing graffiti on. Because, uh, like, you know, tunnels are a cool spot, and there's like, a lot of history down there. I try and explain to people who don't understand. It's like an underground museum, certain places. But, um, and then freights are fun. I mean, you know, I, I was never really, like, a huge, huge freight writer. But I guess when I was in Boston in, like, 91, I guess I started kind of writing on freights. Because there's no real reason to write on freights in New York. We are writing on subways. So, mm-hmm. um but uh, you know, luckily I get I get to do that a handful of times a year. Get to pop down underground a handful of times a year, and that kind of sustains me now. But um, but yeah, it's a, you know, if you're really sometimes I see you know like I see people paint, I see people close to my age painting, and I'm like, they got to be out there three four nights a week. Like that's a full time thing, you know. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Because yeah, like I said, I, I feel like not many people do that, and just because it's just not very feasible. Well, no, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm much older now, so it's like I have obviously a lot more responsibility to do when I was a kid and stuff like that. And also, obviously, my interests are elsewhere and stuff like that. But it is just kind of one of those things. Like, I always kind of think of, like, Style Wars. I mean, you know, obviously, Iz, you know, rest in peace. And, you know, Iz was a good guy, and I got a chance to, you know, do some stuff with him and interview him. And so I actually have an interview with him that I need to, like, put onto digital that I interviewed him before he moved from uh, Rockaway. And, uh, and I always kind of think of that scene in Style Wars where he's like, you know, I'll come around, do some throw-ups, let people know I'm still around. And I guess that's kind of like how I feel, you know, is mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, I let people, I mean, like, because at this stage in the game, it's really, and even for a bunch of years, it's really just for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, like, I'm not writing graffiti for anybody yeah, else. Like, yeah. I, like, in some ways, for me, I think it's cooler when you have less tags mm-hmm. because it's more rare. You're like, oh shit, there's a fucking yeah, this, you know what uh, I mean? Yeah, so I kind of dig, I mean, not, nothing is, nothing against people getting up. I mean, that's, that's where it's at. I get mm-hmm. it. But, but for me, at this stage, I kind of like the rarity of, of, of graffiti and stuff like that. So to me, you know, if I get to paint, yeah. you know, trains or tunnels like 10, 12 times a year or whatever, you know, once a month or something mm-hmm. like that, I'm, that, that could sustain me. I mean, sure, there's times I'd love to go do more, 
but um, it's just not always in the cards. Do you ever feel the responsibility to kind of, I don't know, set the standard of graffiti or keeping the letter structures alive, you know, because I feel, you know, sometimes it seems like the youth coming up, they don't maybe research as much as they should, or do you ever feel like you kind of set an example to maybe up-and-coming writers or even writers that have been doing it for a while to, you know, show them kind of I like... Mean, the original ways you know i mean i hope so i mean you know to me like i said like i didn't have a mentor so i was inspired by like a million dudes and like my style is kind of like a culmination of like all this stuff that i saw growing up and i kind of think that that's one of the things that's special about graffiti is that everyone has you know a time and era that they grew up in and what the first thing they saw or the first thing that kind of inspired them to do that um so you know uh, you know if i have positive influence over people i'm all for it you know but at the same time, I'm not trying to, you know, tell people how to write graffiti. Like, it's like the less rules, the better. Or like, that's kind of the fun part of it. I mean, like, obviously there's some rules, but, um, but at the same time, it's like, that's the joy of it is that like, at any given time, at every given place, you could just like bust out and no one's going to know, only you. And so like, that's kind of, you know, kind of a nice thing. But uh, as far as style and stuff like that, I mean, you know, I think there's always going to be people that do pieces. I mean, like, there's a lot of guys out now that I think are you know, amazing with pieces, like way, I mean, way advanced with the pieces and stuff like that. And it's also cool to see people still doing like decent throw-ups. I mean, there's a lot of garbage throw-ups out there, but it's always kind of been that way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm sure at one point my, when I was toy, my throw-ups were garbage. So it's like, you know, it, that, that's just how it goes. But, um, I guess one of the things that does, does bug me out or, or is maybe, maybe speaks to what you're saying is that like, there's certain things that are in graffiti that are like, have been there almost since day one. Cause like, and again, maybe other older writers could shed maybe better light on it, but from what research and what I know, you could go back to like phase two or like this guy in top who wrote kill three. And they did like, you know, phase had an H, he had a K for kill three. From what I know, they're the first ones that kind of did those letters where like you do a, you know, you do an R, you do uh, a K and it has like a bubble at the bottom, stuff like that. So they kind of started that. Now. Everyone does that, but everyone, hopefully, everyone's kind of made it their own. I mean, I'll just I'll use Scuff as an example. Like, he does kind of that K that's kind of born out of that, that old style, but he made it his. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, when I see that going on, that, you know, that feels good because then you feel like, okay, whether people know that that's from phase two or from that, that people have been doing that for so long, you know, it, I mean, I, you know, it is what it is, but. At the same time, you do get a sense that styles are kind of like handed down. I mean, I don't know what like the newer generation thinks about like, you know, like biting is like a crime, right? So like biting is one thing, but like I think people now, it seems like, you know, emulating or, you know, getting ideas from or something like that is like, it seems like it's much more commonplace now. And it's like more like, hey, I'm inspired by, and which I think is okay. I mean, again, it's like, you know, Scuff was inspired by, you know, various letters, but he made it his own. And so I think that's what I see a lot of other writers doing, you know what I mean, is that they, they'll take a throw up or they'll take a letter and they'll make it their own. Uh, and, but, you know, but the roots of some of those lines in there go way back to the beginning. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I feel like this is the culture that we're in now. You're more likely to like say that you're inspired rather than you bit. Whereas I feel like from all of the like, information that I've seen and heard from people, and just conversations that I've had, 
it's more like the writing culture was just a lot more aggressive back then. Like you bit my shit and I'm going to fuck you up. Yeah. Whereas like now it's, it's, you know, you know, I can only speak for the generation that we're in now and I can't speak for one before me, right. but, um, it just seems pretty clear that it was a lot more rugged back then. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. I mean, it, it definitely was like, um, you know, I mean, I saw something recently on Instagram. I forget what it was, but it was just saying that like in New York, like showing people love is almost like. You can't do that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Which I thought, ah, yeah, that's not totally true because I was like, you know, if you know real New Yorkers that do show a lot of love in New mm-hmm. York and like it's more real in some ways, whereas like you go to other places and sometimes people be nice in your face, but then they talk shit behind your back. And not to say that that doesn't happen here, but like I feel like in New York, you know where you stand with people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like people, I mean, unless people are just, you know, full of shit, mm-hmm. um, you know, you kind of know where you stand. And so like that's, I think, an important thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely way more aggressive back then. I mean, from what I'm, I mean, again, you know, I'm sure that there's still shit going. I'm sure of people course, are still yeah, getting stabbed yeah. and what have you. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, just in general. Yeah, well, know. it was like there was there was not a lot of like like you didn't show other people love like you didn't. I mean, even like not not because I wasn't showing people love, but like like I didn't really start taking photographs of like my graph on trains until like. 85 86 yeah and even then i just took pictures of me and my crew i didn't like step back and be like oh shit i should take a picture of this whole train yeah i would get like close-ups of our throw-ups and that's it like that's all i was really cared about also too back then i guess it's a little bit of a different gig because like you had rolls of film that had like 24 yeah, rolls or yeah. 36 so you were a little bit more selective with your shooting mm-hmm. whereas now you just you know just blast off whatever but um but yeah it was it was definitely a lot more uh yeah people like you had to just like you know be mindful of shit a lot more how did you um how'd you start this magazine uh skills magazine that you brought us issue number seven uh it's crazy that you still have this first of all and like how how well preserved it is this is amazing uh like on the first page there's like it just looks you know it looks amazing so how did you start this magazine how did you learn the process of making it did you I know you went to school for like graphic design. Well, Did it have no, anything so, to do with it, or no, not really. I mean, I did. I did major in graphic design in college. I, so I graduated college in 1991, and I was living outside of Boston. And by chance, I bumped into a guy, and I didn't really, to be honest with you, I wasn't really big into magazines. I, I never really collected IGT. I was aware of it, but I just, I was more like I had the books. I had like, you know, Subway Art, Style Wars was like a big thing. So I would say that those are probably more influential to me. Like I had really no desire to make a magazine, but uh, in 1991, the jobs market was pretty shitty. So after I graduated college, I went cross country for three months. And when I came back, tried to get a job, it was kind of difficult. So I, just by chance, I bumped into a guy that I graduated with, and he was the night manager of this place called Copy Cop, which is kind of like a Kinko's, like a you know, copy place. And he was like, hey, man, he's like, I'm in there all night long. There's no one comes in. He's like, you want to make any color copies? Let me know. So shortly after, I approached him. I said, well, you know, they had saddle stitchers there and all this stuff. I was like, well, make a magazine, you know. So the first four issues of skills were made at this copy cop in, like, the financial district in Boston. And uh, they were all, like, half color copies and half black and white Mm. copies. And um, so, yeah, so we started, like, I think we made, like, 100 magazines. And the first magazine was, like, you know, just like a Mm fold-out, so like that. And even back then, I had no computer. So, like, the first magazines, I literally would lay out on pieces of paper, like, cut the photos out, and um, and would continue to do that. I, even when I made these issues, I still didn't have a computer. So, basically... So, these were all cutouts. Yeah, those were all cutouts. So, basically, what happened was, 
is that when I did start to print it professionally, I had to deal with drum scans. And even back then, a drum scan was like 10, 15 bucks a scan. And I'm like, listen, there's like 200 and some odd photos in here. I don't have, you know, that, that kind of money to, to pay for these scans. So I worked, so luckily I worked with the printers and stuff like that. And they were like, well, how about you design these pages and we'll just scan each page as one photo. And I was like, all right, that's much more feasible. So I continued to kind of do like a collage style, you know, cut out stuff and make layouts and stuff like that with just cut and paste. So, um, so yeah, so it really was just like everything was hand done. I mean, the, the only, like the only stuff that like maybe towards the later issues is like my dad had a computer and I would like maybe type out some of the masthead on computer and then like literally cut and paste that as well. But mm -hmm. even the first issues, everything was like handwritten. The logo was hand done. Everything. How did you contact people like um, like Mob Deep or or like even just contacting people back then must have been so different from, for example, the way that we contact people. Like you got a lot of people in here. Like on the on the second page or I guess the first page, there's like Dessa doing a motion on an M train that's headed to Metropolitan Avenue. There's like a portrait photo of like the Mob Deep crew. There's um there's a lot of stuff you know and how did you contact all these people or uh well basically I mean that that's kind of what you know what's kind of happened during that time is that like I would have a PO box and like the first couple issues of Skills were mostly my flicks and like Boston stuff and then even the third and fourth issues were like flicks that I borrowed from people made into a layout and then gave them the photos back but by yeah probably okay maybe by the fourth fifth issue. Then I started getting, you know, uh, a trickle in the mail from, you know, from in my P.O. box and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And um, it just really kind of went from there. And back then, even though I wasn't that successful, I tried to get, you know, tried to align myself with like hip hop a little bit because we were trying to get ad money from record labels. Wow. You have a Mob Deep interview in here? Look at this. The, do you mind if I read this? No, no, go ahead. The Queensbridge housing projects tucked away inside the industrialized womb of Long Island City. New York in the borough of crazy ass Queens has nurtured many an MC producer and on the ink and aerosol tip graffiti writers infecting hip hop cult hip hop culture's vast triangle of ghetto centric communications with a doped up virus that's laced with beat boxed devastation contrary to what KRS one once said the bridge ain't over a generation after etc and then like you have an interview with uh, is it is it prodigy yeah, it's, it's Prodigy and Havoc. Okay. But but let me let me first like shout this out. So yeah. you see the person who's doing the interview says 1971. Yeah. So, well, shout to Sasha Jenkins. He did that interview. I, mean, I was there for that, of course. But uh, he was working for Vibe magazine at the time. And I don't think he could write for any other magazines. So he couldn't write under his real name. So he just wrote his 1971. So that little lovely paragraph he wrote there, that's that's his handiwork. Okay. So he... So, uh, but yeah, so we, you know, but a lot of us, you know, back then we kind of worked together. They, he was part of the kind of like the videograph guys back then. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, a lot of people started kind of, you know, working with each other. Be like, hey, would you write this? Or like, I know Zephyr wrote some articles for like some European magazines early on. And so it's really just like, it's just kind of like people started really connecting in like a real way. I mean, I remember when I would do the magazine, I would, you know, come out with an issue. I would drop at the stores in Boston and then I would literally drive from Boston hit Rhode Island, hit Connecticut, hit New York, hit New Jersey, and then stop and hit Philly and hit all these spots, you know, because basically it was in these like really random like skate shops or like record stores. It was like not like a big thing. So I would kind of distribute it myself in the beginning. And then um, shortly after, then Tower Records started kind of like, you know, selling graffiti magazines and stuff like that. So 
these last couple of issues, this last issue number seven, we made 10,000 issues. Wow. So, but whereas the first issue, we only made 100. So, um, but they would take them in bulk. I mean, they would buy like, you know, 2,500 issues or keep on buying. And back then, they would pay you even if like this shit's got stolen. So like people would just be like, just, you know, go to Tower Records and take them, whatever, we're still gonna get paid for them because they're gonna see that they're not there, so. But then Tower Records went out of business. A lot of these, you know, I depend on a lot of other distributors. I mean, there's like a whole network of people. I mean, like there was like a whole kind of zine scene, you know, like, I mean, between 92 and 95, when I did the magazine, I would say like a lot of magazines came to be. And also a lot of scenes, like a lot of graffiti scenes in other countries and other states started to take hold where there was never really a graffiti scene before mm-hmm. so um you know it just kind of kept on building and building and I, I, I guess i that's why i say the first issue we only did seven issues and i didn't do it like on a quarterly basis it was kind of like so this was the last issue yeah yeah wow so it was kind of just like it came out when I, when it could come out you know what i mean so it wasn't like no subscriptions or no it was like it was like when it was done kind of thing so like there's a couple of issues where like I made like two or three issues a year, and then there's one issue, like I made an issue once a year. Why did uh, why did you stop making it? Well, like I was saying before, like we started to get into a lot of trouble in Boston because we were doing a lot of trains and stuff, and um, so they knew that that I did the magazine, but they couldn't really prove it. So they um, they tried to get us into court and do a bunch of things and stuff like that. So how do I say like basically we were on like the MBTA property and they didn't catch us but we happened to have our cars parked in the fucking lot for the MBTA so they were able to tow them so we had to go back to their like you know compound off uh, whatever off I-93 there and we didn't really get arrested but they like questioned us and they were like you know uh, you know and I was like 22 or whatever so I was like fuck you, this is bullshit. I was like, you bring us here, you tow our fucking cars, like you didn't catch us doing anything, like what, what is this? And so I was like, I want, you know, I want my fucking car, I wanna get the fuck out of here. And they're like, oh, we wanna take a look inside your car. And I was like, yeah, fuck off. And they're like, all right, well, we'll just take us three weeks to get a search warrant. And I was like, all right, fine, go look through the car. And they did find a pair of bolt cutters, <laughs> which I had used, um, and, but maybe some stickers or something, there wasn't really much in there. So long story short, is that they were like, well, we're going to try and get this in front of a magistrate and try and take this to court and try and take you to court and stuff like that. So that was like at the beginning of the summer of like maybe 93 or 94. And like after the summer, I got some letter in the mail. You had to appear. And so we appeared. And they were just like, yeah, we're going to take you to court and da-da-da. So we went to court. And I was like, at that point, I like, you know, I was just like, I'm not fucking hiring a lawyer. So I like kind of tried to coach this like, uh, we got like you know one of those legal guys, and so try to explain to him. And back then, like there was you know, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> so a lot of shit. But but basically, they were trying to say that I did that, and I was just like, do you see my name on there anywhere? That's why I mean, it sounds silly now. It says like publisher of the man and like editor of the other man and stuff like that. But it was like kind of done purposely mm. because uh, they you know they were trying to like really. They, were, they wanted me to do like yeah that's crazy 300 hours community service and like six like six months suspended yeah. sentences and all this crazy stuff and so basically we lucked out I had to go see like a probation officer yeah. and stuff like that it was like it got kind of ridiculous and I was just kind of like I started like I would have to go to the criminal court building in fucking Dorchester and it's just like I started to feel like a fucking criminal yeah, and I was just, just like you know this is whack 
It just doesn't seem, honestly, like a solid case that they had because it's no. kind of them just saying, like, oh, you're influencing. It's like me saying, like, oh, like, I'm out catching right because I'm influenced by Dunkin' Donuts bubble letters. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, back then, I mean, I think they were still trying to figure it out. I mean, in New York, I mean, the 90s, I mean, I don't know how, what it's like today necessarily, but, like, back then, you know, Giuliani was the mayor here in the city, and he, and I forget, I was just talking to someone about this not that long ago, like, there was some judge up in the Bronx who signed all these, like, warrants and let and so like people's houses started getting raided on like a more regular basis in the 90s and so boston was kind of i think trying to follow in that mold so like when i left in 95 there's a bunch of other guys some that i don't know but people started getting caught up there and doing like six month stretches year stretches and stuff like that and i'd be like felt like yeah i got out of there at the right time because they would have really they were really trying to put it all on me and so that's why so when i came to new york I was gonna had a PO box set up in Kew Gardens, and I had it set up, and I'm still getting. The truth of the matter is, is I still got mail till about like 1997, so I got mail for a long time. But I just was like, you know what? I don't, I don't need this hassle. Like, you know what I mean? It was like a great experience, and it was like great to do the magazine. Like the connections I made were amazing. But I just was like, you know, I was still, you know, like you were saying, you seen these 90s stuff. Like I was still in it, so I didn't really want to be like yeah. that guy. And also too, it got annoying in some ways because a lot of people were like, yo hook me up, you know, this, this, and that. And I just want it to be, like, normal again, kind of. Do you think that uh, printed matter, because, you know, like, printed, just printed work in general is kind of, like, nowhere near as popular as it once was because of the price versus digital, and you can just do shit digital. But there is something to be said about, like, having this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, What do you think about, uh, especially as an artist, like, the new modes of, of uh, like art, the new modes of sharing stuff, whether it be Instagram or augmented reality or all of this stuff where it just like causes a bunch of stuff. But one of the things it causes is that stuff like this doesn't get made uh, as often. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still pretty much living in the tangible world. I mean, I'm like, I've never done like NFTs or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, I kind of understand it a little bit, but it just didn't really seem like it was for me right now. I mean, I, you know, being that I do collage stuff, I mean, obviously I do a ton of work on the computer. I mean, I have, I mean, I basically have two wings. I have my studio practice and I have my commercial practice. So obviously I use a computer a lot, but most of the stuff I do is by hand. Like if you, like in my studio, like I don't have, I don't have a computer there. Everything is done by hand. I mean, I just have my phone and I basically document stuff with the phone and that's about it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's cool. I mean, Instagram, I mean, you know, it's kind of a necessary evil. You know what I mean? It's like it's helpful to reach people. It's, you know, I mean, for me too, like, you know, I basically, I had an assistant for a long time and she moved. And so I basically, when I do projects like that, sometimes I have an assistant on kind of a project to project basis. So a lot of times I'm in my studio, I mean, I'm like an only child, so I'm like good with being, you know, by myself. And sometimes I like to kind of get into like that mode where there's not someone buzzing around me. Um, but uh, so I do a lot of work, you know, in my studio by myself, stuff like that. So Instagram is fun as a tool to kind of share what you're doing or like let people know. I mean, of course, I kind of like to police myself a little bit because I see a lot of people putting shit out there that's like life is so great or everything's awesome or like look how dope I am or whatever. So I kind of try and find a balance of like, you know, wanting to share stuff, but I also don't want to be like, yo, I'm fucking dope. You know, don't, you know, whatever. So, um, and I think also too, that's just kind of part of, who I am and stuff like that, which sometimes I think perplexes people because like, I don't ever really like, you know, I'm happy for people when they do good. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to see people doing bad or like, especially, you know, guys from my era or whatever, there are hard times. Like that doesn't make me happy and shit like that. I'm not like want to push someone when they're down, but, um, but at the same time, like 
I don't really feel like I'm in competition with anybody. You know what I mean? Like I'm in competition with myself. And like that's just kind of the always way I've been. And so I think sometimes, I know over the years, I've interacted with other writers and they're just like, they couldn't really understand where I was coming from or like why certain things weren't bothering me or whatever. And I was just be like, doesn't, you know, these things don't matter. I was just like, I want people to do good. I mean, I, I mean, I think I want graffiti as a collective to be stronger, you know what I mean? And so it's like, I'm happy when people do dope shit or like, and even now it's like, fuck, I mean, I can't front, man. I just saw it live for the first time. Like, this, what was it on like uh, Bowery, just like this MQ roller. Mm. And I was just like, God damn, bro. Like, that's insane. Like, it's like two colors or whatever. Things like half the side of the building. So like I'm kind of always like constantly amazed with what people do and stuff like that. So, and I kind of like seeing people you know push things forward or do you know hit spots that never been hit. I mean, it's kind of I guess it's more like I guess old man graffiti, but like everyone's now into like kind of like the micro stickers and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And so like that's kind of fun. So you know it, you know I mean stickers. I mean I've always kind of looked at even when we did stickers back in the '80s. I always kind of looked at stickers as like crack. I mean mm-hmm. they're kind of like the crack of graffiti because like basically you put a sticker up if one person sees that sticker. It's done its job, I feel like. So if you put a sticker up somewhere and it stays somewhere for 10 years, that's like, that's kind of amazing. But I always just felt like, you know, if one person sees that, then it's, that's it. It's like a one hit and then you got to do another and another. So I guess with the little stickers, that's kind of where a bunch of us have kind of gotten a little crazy with that <laughs> stuff. But, um, but it's, it's fun, you know, it's fun. Yeah, so um, in, but in terms of like the printed matter and, and just like you, you like to stick to just the tangible stuff and it doesn't really... For the most part, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I, you know... I mean, you do collage work. Yeah, I mean, I still I still work on my hands like yeah. that. Everything's, like, made by hand, made by me. I mean, you know, like like I said, the only time I really have assistance, maybe if I'm painting something large or something like that. Um, but, um, but, yeah, I mean, for me, it's just, I guess, the time I grew up in or whatever, it's just I'm always going to have, like, a hands-on approach to, like, anything that I work on. How did you get into, uh, and did you find it a struggle when you were... You've always been into art and stuff, but when you were like doing it more like officially as like this is like my thing. Look, you can. I'm also pursuing this almost like as a as a career as well. I'm taking this seriously. Yeah. Um, when you started doing that, did you find any difficulty getting like legitimacy in terms of like, oh, I'm a graph writer now. I'm this or uh, you know, it's it's a mixed bag because I think when when a lot of people who are like my age are starting to go into more galleries, it's also like the late '90s, '99 or 2000 stuff like that, and myself included. You know, of course, then, you know, a lot of people or maybe myself more, I was still, you know, a little bit like trying to keep my face private, my name private and stuff like that. So that doesn't totally work when you're trying to transition into the art world and stuff like that. So obviously, I still enjoy having some sort of anonymity. So maybe it wasn't the best power move or what have you. But but I remember thinking to myself, too, like when people did start showing in the galleries in a real way, then a bunch of people started getting caught too, like a bunch of kind of high profile kind of people once they were kind of out in the open then they were like their houses got raided and all this shit. So again, I kind of fell back a little bit and was like, oh shit, I was like, all right, if I do this, I got to be careful. But, um, but at the same time, I think f- trying to be an artist and having a name and like, I mean, for lack of a better term, a brand, it's not really a brand, but like kind of having the graffiti yeah, tag yeah. is kind of like that or parallel to that. Yeah, it is, for sure. And so I think that that in some ways is helpful because you already have somewhat of a built-in audience. You have people know, at least people know like, oh, you have a history and stuff like that. So in that way, I felt that that was beneficial. Uh, but it just like kind of navigating into the art world and feeling comfortable of just being, 
you know, open about our things, I think for me, it took a few years to be comfortable with. Um, but, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I think it's good. I mean, yeah, in some ways, you know, I mean, today, you know, people, I think, have a much better appreciation for graffiti art and what, you know, comes out of it because the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, to me, there's like almost like two lanes. It's like, you know, bombing and graffiti. That's like, that's on its own. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, you can do throw-ups in a gallery and that's fine. But to me, you know, that's like its own thing. But evolving certain things and like, you know, even we talk about the collage work and stuff like that. It's like a lot of the collage work I do is inspired by, you know, a lot of the aesthetics that come from graffiti, which I think is like really rich for mining because, you know, whether it's layering or movement or color or texture, um, there's just all these things that are there that I just think are really ripe for like investigating and like trying to create works out of. And then for me also, uh, the subway, there's just the subway system itself, whether it's in the tunnels or platforms or any of this, like the colors, uh, all that stuff, like, if, and even old spray paint colors, stuff like that, those really still inform a lot of like my color sensibility and stuff like that. So I'd like to think that like I use a lot of aesthetics from graffiti, but I'm not trying to recreate graffiti necessarily. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to like take some of those ideas and push them into like other directions. Of course, you know, the one kind of constant through my work is like letters and letter forms, mm -hmm. whether it be abstracted or, you know, direct. That's kind of like something that I'm always interested in. And like a lot of the collages or a lot of uh, abstract collages are of either like letters or of the negative shapes of letters and stuff like that. So it is kind of like, even though I do a lot, a lot of different series of work, that's kind of the one thing that really connects them all together. Yeah, I mean, your artwork, you know, it speaks for itself. It has like its own unique style and you can see the standards that you put on it and it's, it's honestly very inspiring to see. And even, you know, your approach, like hearing you talk about graffiti, just, you know, knowing that you've been in it for so long, it's, it's honestly like very open-minded and uh, it seems like you just adapt with the times, you know, because it might be a common thing in graffiti where like, especially like older writers, they'll be like, oh, back in the days, it wasn't like this, or, you know, I hate this, or, but you seem like, honestly, just like. Ah, it's just, it's something I enjoy. It's something that's fun. It, like I said, it's something that informs what my work outside of graffiti and stuff like that. But it's funny, you mentioned, you made me think like, in 1988, I did a backdrop for a public service announcement for putting on your seatbelt. And it was with Heavy D and the boys. And so, and it's crazy because it was at this studio on White Street, which is close to where my studio is now. And, uh, and it was like, we got like, it was like, whatever, 88, and I had my boy, this guy here writes Face, uh, not the guy today, but an older guy who wrote Face on the trains with me. And he, would, he was helping me out. And we got like 500 bucks, which was like, back then, 88 was like, that was like money for the whole summer. Like, and we also, they bought all this paint and we got to keep like, I don't know, like a hundred cans or something like that. So we were just like set for that summer. And, um, but I remember when the day came, when they did the filming and like we were there, I took a picture of Heavy D and the boys and the guy, the guy Trouble T-Roy was still alive and whatever. And I remember, I don't know if Heavy D didn't want to be there and like, you know, whatever, rest in peace. I don't want to talk ill of him, but he was just like, you know, what is this shit in the back? He was like, graffiti's fucking played out. He's like, the fuck is this? Da 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 da. And I was like, oh shit. I was like, he's like, yo, this is played out and da da da. And I was like, I'm thinking like, nah, shit is just getting fucking started. You know what I mean? So at, that always kind of bugged me out that he was like, nah, this is, this is tired and stuff like that. And I was just like, nah, I was like, it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, because I think that's the other funny part about it is when I started, like in the early 80s, it's like they had all these gallery shows, there were all these movies, 
that were kind of fast track like Beach Street or Break In or whatever these you know kind of had graffiti in it. And I think there was this real idea that like, hey, we got to fast track all these projects and these shows because this is a fad. Mm-hmm. It's going to run out and it's just you know break dancing all this stuff. They're like, oh, this, this is just going to be a fad. So let's make some money off and capitalize off it now. And so it's interesting to come from that era. I mean, even though I was the guy at the Fun Gallery at the Dandy Show, you know, with my black book, being like, yo, sign my book, you know. Uh, even though it's crazy because I was in the room a couple of times with like, you know, uh, Keith and John Michelle, and like I was like, nah, those guys don't ride on trains. I don't want their signatures in my mm-hmm. book. Like I just like they do like some weird art stuff, and I was more into like you know Dandy or Futura or Zephyr, getting those guys in my book, Tracy One Sixty Eight. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's just uh, yeah, it's just something that's been a constant. You know, it's just like it's, you know, it's. You know, like I said before, it's like it's graffiti is what you make it. So it's like whatever, it's like you know, some people like to go fishing, you know, some people like to go paint something. You know what I mean? So I kind of that's kind of the where I'm at with it now. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like it's really more like I said, just for myself. And like if people can still dig it, you know, that's cool. Like I said, you know, for me it's fun to have like a little bit here and there and be like, oh shit, like look, this is still out here, you know? Yeah. As opposed to being like, yo, this guy's in his fifties and he's like bombing every night. Like this is a little bit like, like cool, but uh, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know. So, but, you know, again, no, no judgment to other people. I mean, like, you know, I'm happy to see people come back and do shit and, uh, and, you know, still continue to paint and, you know, develop their styles and evolve their styles. Like, I think that's great. Um, because, you know, some people, they kind of just do one thing and that's what they do. And that's that. There's nothing wrong with that either. But, um, but it's cool, you know, for me, like, as I said, I still draw a lot. So I still am always kind of develop. I mean, like if I, if I had the time to do all the pieces and stuff like that, I have on paper and styles like that. It's just, there's just not enough time. But, but so uh, you know, like I think I've done. I think I was looking through my photos of this year, and I think I've done like 14 pieces. So it's not a lot. But um, I was like, all right. I was like, so I'm kind of destined to do one more. So I was like, I feel like I have to do at least 15 this year. Just mm-hmm. Not that it's arbitrary. It doesn't mean anything. But I just uh, there was a couple of years maybe like 10 years ago where I was starting to do like 60, 70 pieces a year and I was like, yeah, not that it's about numbers or something like that, but just, I was just getting hyped that I was doing, that, that at this stage I was still having opportunities yeah, yeah. to do this much. Of course. So, um, so, but yeah, but it, like I said, it's still fun. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, dumb shit around it, but. Yeah. Um, I want to say thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and if you have anything else to say or any shout outs you want to give, any um, future future projects that you have planned that you want to share, uh, you're more than welcome to. Uh, well, shit, yeah, there's a bunch of things, I guess. Um, yeah, well, like I was mentioning before, we're doing a project with this place out in San Francisco called the Letterform Archive, and we're working on a book and an exhibition that's going to be in May of 2023. Um, and it's basically a book that kind of talks about the magazine era of the 90s and kind of seen through my archive of stuff that I saved through the magazine, all the photos that there was and drawings and paintings and stickers and Xeroxes and stuff like that that were given to me when I was doing the magazine. So, but we've kind of chunked up the book into like four main topics of just like kind of obviously since the place is a letter form archive, we're addressing like letter forms and stuff like that. And then there'll be a chapter on skills. Then there'll be a chapter on a bunch of like highlighting like 40 other magazines that were really important during the time. And then the last chapter is about kind of the community, which I think I kind of touched on before, which I think is like, no one's really done a deep dive into like this era. It's like it's a lot of times when you look at graffiti books, they're like from the 70s or 80s or like after 2000. So, you know, this is a time, you know, before the internet and, um, you know, a lot of people were making connections and stuff like that, like in other towns and worldwide. And so like, I think it's like a really important kind of topic to talk about 
and just kind of like as far as the bridge from the earlier years to the internet and stuff like that and like uh, I think I was saying before like I think a lot more people started to take documenting more seriously and in some ways just take graffiti more seriously in the sense of like hey this really is something you know of course I'm biased you know a lot of times people ask me about graffiti and I'm like I kind of equate it to jazz I was like it's it's a lot of lost history there's a lot of pioneers that are probably still you know sweeping floors and stuff like that and nobody knows who they are and uh, but you know it's also kind of like this uh, American art form so it's like something to be proud of as far as other projects I'm supposed to be <laughs> I'm supposed to be dropping a print today so I'm a little bit slow on that so I will be dropping a print I did a print with a great printer out in San Francisco a guy called does bloom press and basically we just did like a small edition of one color prints of like a couple of my illustrations kind of mashed together and um, and then I hand colored each one of them stuff like that so they're all unique um, and then, yeah, what else? I mean, there's a bunch of other things I can't talk about yet, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening in 2023. I mean, the, there's, uh, like I said, I'm working on a bunch of different, like, kind of book and zine projects and various levels and stuff like that um, because, like, I have done so much documenting. And so, like, for, you know, it's like, I guess I'm glad that I kind of held stuff back. Like, I definitely post some things here and there, but I usually post, like, kind of, like, the photos that, like, I wouldn't use in a book, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but uh, but there's also something about me that like didn't really want to put all this stuff on the internet because like then people just take it and do yeah, whatever. Yeah. So and even now like there's so many books and stuff like that that come out about graffiti and stuff like that and I don't want to say that people are harsh about it but like I think you know people want to see a book that they see images in that they've never seen before. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that come out now and you're like well we've seen all, a lot of this stuff already so. Um, so that's one of the other reasons why I want to try and make some of these books and some of these zine projects because like I have a bunch of stuff that no one's ever seen. Mm -hmm. I mean, even just to talk about the, you know some of the Queens tunnels and stuff like that. Like, I went down there so much and documented so much. Like, I I, I should probably update because I probably have gotten more since then. But I like documented like over four hundred names in like one layup, you know. And I know there's probably more people that went there, but like, I always thought it'd be kind of a cool project to kind of have like you know all these people painted here, you know, like. They came and they came from like far and wide, you know, because like, again, early on, I was just like, people be like, yo, you Forest Hills, you write graffiti, what the fuck? Be like, yo, man, graffiti's like the spot in Forest Hills, man. I was like, you don't know it, but that's good. But um, um, I'm trying to think what other projects are happening uh, I can speak on. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, obviously, I'm looking to do some shows and stuff like that. I've been making a couple bodies of work. Like during the pandemic, I made a bunch of new works that are like collage and paintings stuff like that that are more like using spray paint as part of the um, part of the you know part of design so it's like I've kind of like been just you know evolving and building on those things and just you know continue to like do uh, you know bigger collage works and bigger stuff but yeah I'm just you know just kind of rolling along but like yeah I have a lot of projects that are coming up this year cool well um, you know thank you for coming on the show and also thank you for gifting us this yeah uh, oh, no problem like we gave you the magazine that we've been working on, Living Proof, and it's, it's stuff like this that really inspired us to do it. Um, so thank you for, for bringing this to us. No, my pleasure, man. No, I always, I, like again, I appreciate you guys taking, the, having the patience and like, you know, continuing to come back and stuff like that so that we could make this happen. So I definitely, sure, definitely want to come empty handed. I want to definitely bring you guys something just out of respect for that. And, cool, cool. And what you guys yeah, do. Uh, thank you so much for, man, making it out here, speaking your knowledge. It's amazing to hear. I'm like a little kid in a candy shop <laughs> listening to these stories. Thanks, man. No, I mean, I feel like I could talk forever, but it's, yeah. uh, but if we're good, that's good. Cool. Yeah. Thank, you thank you so you much. Thank you for the yo. magazine, man. Uh, thank thank you. you, man. Peace.